0: What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 21. My name is James Scully. Today, during the month of Harvest, August, on the Wall Breakers, I sit down with graphic designer and visual artist Kieran Lewis, who is all the way across the pond in London, for a conversation about ways to harvest your skills to become financially and creatively independent. Kieran is somebody who realizes that if you have passions in life that you enjoy, go follow them, and they might lead to financial independence they might lead to creativity and it doesn't matter whether or not you're a graphic designer whether or not you are a roofer whether or not you are a teacher if we do the things that we want to do and we follow these things they might lead to money someday at worst they'll lead to some happiness for those of you who don't know the reason why harvest is our topic this month is because during August you have the end of what you would call harvest season as we gear up for the fall in the northern hemisphere and people start to do more things together with families. They start to have those Thanksgiving events, those Halloween events, those potluck parties. People are getting out there. They're breaking those walls, and they're banding together. Before I go on, as I always say, you can get these podcasts by going to soundcloud.com thewallbreakers. If you follow us on SoundCloud, then if you check your feed when we have recently released a podcast... It'll come right to your feed, and you can listen that way. Otherwise, you punch in our URL. You can also get these podcasts on iTunes by searching for The Wall Breakers, subscribing. Then, every time we release a podcast, which is the 1st and the 15th of the month, you will get them automatically downloaded to your device. And if you have decided to do either of those things, please rate us, review us, let me know how it's going, tell me if you think that there are things that I can do better Tell a friend. Tell two friends. Word of mouth is the only way that we keep this going. This comes to you free of charge. I'll ask for nothing but your opinion. And I'm also very excited to bring this particular chat with Kieran to you because it's a subject that if you were to just look at it on paper, the culling together of various skills to try to push your career financially and creatively forward, it might be seen as something that's really heavy and serious and stressful, Kieran and I speak in such a light-hearted way that it shows you that behind each door that is an unknown quantity is just happiness that we're waiting to go experience. And you know this from your own experiences in life, and you don't have to have me tell you that. And personally for me in my life, as a graphic designer and copywriter, I am someone who has oftentimes worked as a contractor. And the truth of the matter is, at some point, contracts come to an end, and you have to find new work. And the best way to continue to find work is to follow the things that you really care about because eventually they will lead to something. And like I said a moment ago, if at worst case they lead to some more happiness and they're not financially fruitful, and like Kieran and I talk about in this conversation, you can take some of those inspirations that you receive from your extracurricular activities and bring them with you to your day job, you're going to be better for it one way or another. I'm going to keep this intro right here going to keep it short. And I want to welcome you to the middle of the month of August on the wall breakers and this breaking walls, episode 21 with Kieran Lewis. And the topic is ways to harvest your skills to become financially and creatively independent. And it's coming to you right after this brief pause. Hey guys, back on Breaking Walls. And today my guest is Kieran Lewis. And Kieran and I are fellow graphic designers. He's also what he would consider a visual artist. Kieran is located in London. And he's somebody that I've known for the last few years as someone who is able to call together various skills and interests to help push his own creative career forward. So the topic that I wanted to sit and discuss with him today is ways to harvest your skills to become both financially and creatively independent. So I'd like to welcome Kieran to the podcast. Hey. Hi, James. How you doing? Great. Thank you. And I'd like to ask you first, you're an artist. Mm-hmm. I don't think any five-year-old kids who like art think, I'm going to grow up and be a graphic designer. I, I'm not sure okay. that anybody really thinks that. Yeah. When we first become lovers
1: of art, yeah. where
0: does your love of art come from?
1: Right. Well, growing up, I like guess like any other sort of kid growing up, um, I was reading into cartoons. I love my cartoons i'd wake up you know really really early watch cartoons i'd draw a lot of the cartoons i'd watch and i mean obviously now we call it animator we call that more of a you know visual thing but when you're a, a 10 year old boy you know waking up to watch cartoons and drawing you don't look at it to you know the detail aspects of it back then and i kind of feel you know doing little drawings and having a little notepad of me back then as a kid that's what i used to do quite a lot of um, so yeah i used to have a notepad of me every day and i would just do drawings and doodles on the way to school or on the way to friend's house and i think that That sort of love of drawing and, you know, documenting anything I see, but from a visual point of view, is kind of where my interest in design, I guess, really originated from from the start. Until you went to college slash university, what Mm -hmm. kind of school or professional training in art did you have? Okay, so um, in college, I studied uh, graphic design, uh, but I did a lot of life drawing. So a lot of life drawing, um, some bit of animation, um, a lot of theory-based as well, contextual studies we call it over here. Um, which is more the sort of theory aspect to, to design work. Um, okay. And again, I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed learning about the sort of theory side to, to design. Um, obviously, knowing the visual aspect too, but again, the theory side is just as important. Um, so, for me, I did a lot of that in college. First year at university, I, I actually studied game design. Um, so, it wasn't actually graphic design at the time. And it took me a year to realize it wasn't for me. But that being said, I mean, I learned a lot in that one year of course. I mean, I studied, uh, I studied life drawing, studied animation and game design, and I mean, it, it does link ever slightly, obviously, to design, not so much graphic design, but you know, you know, sometimes it takes a year to realize it's, you know, it's not what you want to be doing, but you can sort of utilize those skills and sort of go on and move on, which I did do, and I ended up uh, finishing my degree at Winchester, studying uh, graphic design, marketing, and branding. I'm glad that you brought up the term theory just now. Mm. Maybe
0: people who are not artists or designers, they don't realize that there's a psychological mm. uh, way of thinking that goes into a design thesis or a, uh, an execution. Mm. Let's talk about that for a second. Sure. Design theory. Yeah. If you were to describe to someone who is not an artist what that actually means, how would you describe what it, what it means to think about design theory as you
1: execute whatever it is, a website, a mm. flyer, you name it? I think the theory base comes down to communication. I think sitting down and speaking to people, speak, I think design is very much opinion based. I think the, the great thing about doing design is there, there is a very wrong or right answer when it comes to you know opinions. But when it comes to the theory side of things, I think it's, a perfect example I could say, for example, is if you have a, um, you've got a, a pitch and you've got your target audience. And obviously in order to find out about you know the target audience, there is no visual design work to it. It's a case of speaking to your audience and finding out exactly what they want, you know, what they feel could work well and sort of using that information and basically bringing that onto the board and bringing as visual as you can with it. So I think it comes down to a lot of, you know, speaking, um, reading a lot of books. There's a lot of really good books out there on design as well. Um, like a lot of people think designing is all about pretty pictures, but there's a lot more to it, I think, when it comes to uh, to researching various artists and designers and Design as itself, it, it, it so many spectrums of different things, whether it's architecture or, or graphic design or game design, but it all, there's always a linkage of some sort. Things like great novels, there's always a lot of good books out there to, to get some research about it. I'm also glad that you just
0: said, when, in talking about a pitch, mm. that you're not actually usually presenting full-blown designs during a pitch. I mean, you might have some comp work mm. done to show some visuals as to back up the thinking behind it, but... Mm sort of like we're talking about today when you talk about harvesting skills together to create a whole. Mm. Design without some sort of meaning behind it is just pretty pictures. And generally, I think that's what separates good design from bad design, in my opinion, would be the function of why it's Mm. being done. The why is really – why we do anything in the world is really the why behind it, not just that we're doing it. Yeah. So now you just mentioned another word, communication. Mm. You're somebody who has – naturally a strong inclination to have community ties and talk to people. Mm. Why are you not afraid to put yourself out there in the world and make connections with people? Some people find that intimidating. Mm. Why is it something that you feel you want and need to
1: do for yourself? Well, I'll tell you what, James. It's so it's funny you mentioned that because, um, I mean, I always say to my girlfriend that I'm, I'm quite a shy character. She says, no, you're not. You're the opposite of that. But I think the way I find it is that Doing you know graphic design, doing design as a whole is something I've done as a young child. You know I've learned about it, I've enjoyed it. So when it comes to speaking to people or you know making you know nice friends with people in my sort of sector, I think it comes almost naturally because again I enjoy what I do. I find it very comfortable, very easy to talk to people, especially when it's when it's my own work. So for example, if someone says to you, you know let's talk about what are you working on, what are you doing, I always think to myself that's probably the easiest thing possible to do because again today. You know, you've designed that work personally. If anyone can talk about it better, it's it's you. So, you know, there is shouldn't I, I always find personally there isn't much of a a sort of nerve wracking or anything scared about speaking about your own personal work because again, I, I enjoy what I do and I, I find it quite comfortable to do. Um, but that being said, obviously everyone gets nervous. I you know, if I have an interview of some sort, I always get nervous. But I mean, as long as you have got the facts down and everything you need to do, and I you know, it's um it's a case of you know drawing a communication and getting those skills and speaking to people you know, very clearly and getting that message across. Sure, and it stands to reason, obviously, that if you're close to something and you know
0: about it, you're prepared, mm. and that's gonna quell a lot of nervous feelings because Definitely. you know what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. You know, in the time that I've known you, uh, you've been everything from an editor to a graphic designer to a community organizer like we just mentioned, mm. but now we just spoke about some of those things individually. I'm curious if there is a common thread that brings them together, things that stand out to you that you're most passionate about, that give you the confidence to talk and speak to these things on multiple levels, and be okay. not just a designer, or be not
1: yeah. just somebody who sits behind a computer, somebody who gets out there. Yeah. Where does that I, passion lie for you? I, do you know what, I almost think this stems back at my first year at university. I think when you, for anyone who's ever been to university, you know I obviously you've got various, various things you go through the university career, you know, you, you learn how to cook for yourself for one, how to live on your own, but you meet a lot of people who you necessarily would have met if you didn't go to university, and I think for me, I worked with a lot of young designers from various disciplines, whether it was fashion, graphics, fine art, textiles, and it's those people who, um, you know, you wouldn't meet them unless you had studied in university, so for me personally, I've got quite a nice connection with various, from various disciplines, and I've worked with them over the years on, you know, self-directed projects, and you know public projects community projects um and i think that's where it kind of the, my interest and passion does lie working with you know young people working with um students especially and graduates because again you've got a, a massive wave of fantastic you know young artists and designers and it's it's trying to get that platform out there for for them to you know to utilize their skills and you know i've spoken to um various various people for my years and it's always interesting hearing their stories as to why they've become why they're doing what they're doing. Everyone's got their own story, you know, and it's interesting because, again, when you're in the working world, from my personal experience, you know, everyone's kind of lived it and they've done it, and you kind of lose that, that almost drive and passion. You know, working nine to five, over it becomes you know the norm, and it, there's very much passion, any much interest. It's all about you know, making money, and I kind of think to myself, well, where, where does that passion start and where does it end? You know, try and keep that continuous. And university. Especially students at first sheet, that, that spark of wanting to, you know, do well and do well because you love it and enjoy it. That's, that's so evident for like, every single year. And I think, you know, working with people like that, that's only going to pro- project really cool things for the future. So, yeah, that's what my sort of passion, I guess that thread of the various things I've done over the few years, it all kind of stems down to, to working with young artist designers and sort of knowing their backstory, really, and finding out more.
0: So then you would definitely say that the camaraderie and the common ground that you found while in university, Mm. because I really like that you said there are other things that you learn when you're in college besides the curriculum. You do, you Mm. learn how to be an adult on your own for the first time. And there's a certain amount of empowerment and independence that happens while you're having all this fun and and chasing your passions. Mm. Would you say that since you left university, Mm. is that that's part of what drives you then? The the desire to continue to find that collegiate common ground and camaraderie with people that are your peers.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I mean, my, my final uni project was very much a case of, and it was an editorial project, helping and you know setting a foundation for, for graduates. So in a way, when I left university, I already left having my, you know, my final major project being something I'm very passionate about. and. I mean my first job leaving university, um, it, was, it was quite a nice one actually because that, that stemmed off from when I was 16, I was doing an internship in London when I was 16 and I was going back every summer from the age of 16 and when I left uni they offered me a full time. So that was my connection way into it and a lot of people that I used to work with back then knew a lot of the work I was doing whilst at uni because obviously at college I was 16 and you know every year as I went from college right to uni I was going back every summer to work in London. So they were always seeing what work I was doing, seeing what I was up to. And I think when I left uni and I worked there, obviously as a junior designer full time, they, they knew what I was doing, they knew what I was capable of doing. But what was quite nice, is they gave me a lot of, not a lot of free reign, but uh, you know, the opportunity to express myself because they have seen what I can do when it's self-directed. And I think that's in a way very, very fortunate because most people when they get to their first job, especially from a junior level, it's, it's, for one, it's traumatic, it's, it's, it's daunting, it's a new experience, but there's also that, you know, or how much can I say, how much can I really get across, you know, my interest and passion, and, you know, from my perspective, I was very fortunate to, to go into this first job, and, you know, they knew who I was, they knew what I could do, and I was able to, to basically go to town with a lot of designs I did whilst being there, and it was, yeah, fantastic, a lot of fun. So you were lucky in that you were going into an environment that you were at least
0: moderately comfortable with hmm. beforehand. Hmm. What can we do, in your opinion, how can we help people? Because no matter where in the world we are, you're in London right now, I'm in New York. Yeah. People, they do often look back at their college experience as one of the greatest times of their lives, both from a social standpoint, because we all party in college, yeah. you know, and you're having a great time. Yeah, close. But even from a, the ability, like you're saying, to explore your passions, to do good work, and to really push yourself in new directions. But then we get out into the work world, and a lot of people lose that drive and ambition. It's almost like their confidence gets knocked down because it's like you're saying, how much can I talk? Where can I find that, that seam that allows me to be comfortable? You know the answer to this, I think, based on your threading of communities. But I do think it's really important that people empower themselves and realize that yeah. that college experience doesn't have to end up here in your mind. Not, not at all. How can we help people refine that confidence and and realize that okay you don't have to do something that you're unhappy about for the rest no. of
1: your life w- what can we do i think my my advice would be is you know again it's the very it's the stigma of when you know when you leave university it's, it's what's next what next you know you you find your first job it's it's a big 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 step massive step um but I think the one thing that you could do, especially if you're going to a, your first job and it's not the job that you want to really be in, but you find yourself in it, I think the one thing you, from a designer's point of view, which is very important, is is almost doing side projects, doing something which keeps your mind and your passion still still afloat, because I think like you, you know we spoke about when you when you work your nine to five and you get home, you're knackered, you don't really want to, you know, maybe do a lot of work and have that passion, but when you've got something you're you know you're really into, you know, you can always substitute you know, your nine to five job on a weekend, say, and, you know, really embrace your passion then. So, I mean, I know a lot of friends, I mean, who left with fantastic grades at my uni, really good grades, but like most students when they leave university, very difficult to find work. So a lot of them have gone into to maybe to to retail jobs or jobs that they wouldn't necessarily thought they'd be doing, but whilst they're doing that, they've also got their side projects, they've got their freelance projects, and that's where you can you can clearly see they've got an interest and a drive for it. So. I mean, what I would advise for people who, who are coming out of UNSA and they can't find their ideal job and feel that, you know, the passion might die, I kind of think to myself, well, like any between 20 and 30-year-old, people, you know, you need to have money, first of all, to live, which is necessity. So, you know, you, you work and you, you work to earn, which is fine. But I always think it's very important to keep that passion, that drive, whether it's something as a freelance or a side project or even if it's something you do you know, every other weekend. It, but it's keeping your... Your brain and your interest still, still afloat. Like I said, you know, and keeping that drive still there because, you know, in time, it's all about patience. You know, you, the, you know, the, the more you look, the harder you find. You know, you will eventually find your ideal, your ideal job role. It can take for some people, it could be months, even years. But, you know, I'm a firm believer in you know, you work hard, you get the benefits. For anyone who's has that idea, then I always think you know, it's um, positive thinking, and uh, hopefully, it gets you, gets you cut forward. Do you find the combination of patience plus persistence to be difficult for yourself uh that's a good question um sometimes yeah i think you know that for anyone it's a tricky one because obviously everyone in a different boat everyone's got different situations i always feel the patience the patience issue is always a tricky one because obviously depends how much patience you've got first of all isn't it i think if you're a patient person then it could be easier if you're not so much then it's difficult but you know, you can always find that balance by having, by being patient, by doing, like I said, your own side projects. Because whilst you're looking for your actual ideal job, you can also, like, spend some time on the weekend or even some time in the evenings and, you know, do a little small project. It hasn't got to be a project which is going to make money. It could be a project just for yourself, just so you know how, you know, you can still think that, right, I still got that spark that I had at uni in my first year. Why not keep continuing that into into graduation as well? And I think to myself that there is that... um. There is that almost slight stigma that when you leave university right it's it 's a suit and tie and it 's very much a case of right heads down and yeah it 's a serious thing it's it 's work which is which is obviously everyone knows, but you know there is that drive and that passion where you can still keep that and harness that right through even when you graduate into you know your later years and I know a lot of people, especially from you know places i 've been at and worked at, that are a lot older than me and heard their stories and it 's amazing I mean I worked to a guy i don 't go too far but I worked to a guy. At my previous place, and you know, he he left university, really good grades, but again, he couldn't find his ideal job. And he he did a lot of projects, side projects, and that was definitely in his favor because now where he's working at, it's you know, it's a good job, really good place. But you know, he's got that motive and that drive, and you can clearly see that you know from that when he had it from when he left university right down to I mean, he's thirty five now, and it's it's evident that he's very passionate about doing what he does. And he's a he's a husband, married with two kids, and it. You know, it it can be done. You know, you don't have to necessarily be a a 20-year-old fresh out of uni to have that passion, and still not have that if you weren't, um, if you weren't later on in your life. I think maybe you would agree with
0: me, based on what you just said, Mm. that by diversifying ourselves, like you're saying, okay, so we have to work. That's a fact of life. Sometimes the job that you currently have might not be something that is the most breathtaking, passionate thing to you. But if you allow that to be the only basket that you put all your eggs in, that's where mm. that creation of a zombie human comes in where you just go to work and yeah. don't really care about life anymore. But by diversifying your interests, mm. it helps lead to something because like you're saying, okay, so if you're working in retail, you are learning something that you wouldn't have expected. And then if you do what you really are passionate about mm. on the side, suddenly you might pull some of those things you learn from retail into your passion
1: and move forward sure. to them. Yeah, I mean, even the business side too, I think one thing which, I mean, I personally found as well, and I guess, I mean, my girlfriend and I, we spoke about this a few times, um, is that, you know, some universities obviously have their different ways of working, but, you know, from where I left university, it was a, it was a fantastic university, first of all, it was a really good uni, but the business side to, to how design works, and even jobs as a whole, they don't really necessarily set you up for that, and I always think to myself, when it comes to any the business side to a design sector, you need to definitely experience that for yourself firsthand. And it's never easy, that's for sure. I mean, I, I the first book I have actually had, I read a, a book called, um, not the most easy of titles, but it's The Business Side to Creativity. And it's a big, big, chunky book, but that gave me a bit of an insight. I mean, I'd read it on the train journey to work, and this was my first ever job. And that gave me a, a, an insight into the business side too, and understanding, you know, well, design has various, various sectors, but the financial part of it is also an element which is part of it. And, you know, it's important to have a good knowledge of that and to understand how that works. And university, maybe not necessarily set you up primarily for that, but that's where you go into various other job roles, such as, like you said, retail, and places where you're learning these skills firsthand. And then once you go into your actual chosen field or your chosen job, you've got that knowledge ready to, to excel. Do you think that there's anything that... And we both, went, we both studied graphic design,
0: mm. but we went to two different schools, so chances are there was a lot of similarities and a lot of differences mm. the way we studied at college. Yeah. Uh, do you think that there's anything... Truly, that can be taught in college that can prepare you for what it is like out there in that work world because it is doggy dog, or is it just that you have to be in it? it baptism by fire is the only way
1: to truly figure yeah. out who you are in that situation. I think it's a bit of both. I mean, think that's, that's probably the 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 answer i would give i think in a sense that my my uni career was probably the best three years of my life you know it was it was fantastic like i said you meet friends who you necessarily wouldn't met. i met my girlfriend for example i met her during uni and you find all these different things that you didn't know about yourself and what you can actually do you know as a designer whilst at uni but then that being said when you're in the working world um especially if you so for example i used to work in advertising especially working advertising you learn you know how to do with clients for example and learning how to do with clients is um like anyone who works in advertising, will know it, it can't be the easiest thing in the world. But you, wouldn't necessarily, you would never necessarily know that at uni. And again, you have to experience that in the working world to understand how you work with clients and understand how briefs and deadlines are. I mean, deadlines are a massive important one because, you know, your deadline in, in university is never the deadline you get in the real world. And I've learned that, obviously, you know, first-hand going into your first job. And again, it's experience, you know? You make, you make mistakes like anyone does, and you make mistakes from... Um, college and from uni and from even working full-time but it's how you learn from the mistakes which goes on further and which makes you into a better designer you know i'm i'm forever learning and that's what i've always told i've worked with and, you know my new boss as well she you know she's very capable of you know knowing what i can do and what i can't do but i you know i've said to her, i'm here to learn i'm here to you know do the best i can do and i think most people you know most believe university very optimistic and i think you know that and that's the that's the passion that you should keep i think Within time, obviously, it's very difficult, like we said, you know, to find to find work. Um, and that's just across the board, really, whether it's design or any job, especially design in particular. It's, it's hard because you've got some fantastic, fantastic designers that you're up against, in a way. And I think to myself, if you've got that interest and that passion and you know, that motive to want to learn, that eagerness to want to learn, I think you go into your new job and people look into it and they think, well, you know, we're going to invest some time and effort into this individual because there's a clear indication that they, that they want to learn. And I think that's the thing. They don't want to get from what I would believe, and this is my perspective, especially from a junior perspective, they wouldn't necessarily get this junior in if they knew it all, because otherwise they would be a midway or a senior. It's a case of getting a junior in and nurturing them and giving them the time all the day to, to learn more. And then obviously,
0: you know, if they invest
1: in you, then you invest your time and effort into them. And that's the kind of mutual respect that if you're lucky enough, especially to, to find a job, then yeah, that's the perfect kind of job to, to learn. in. especially when you start from a junior level and you make your way up within a certain company, you know, you have got that lovely relationship that you, you maybe not necessarily would have gotten if you have gone to various other uh, workplaces and done other things, because you've got that connection with friends and you you worked to various clients, but you've got that relationship which you built over a period of time. So yeah, that's that's my belief on to anyway. You've been lucky enough to have working environments that
0: were nurturing to you and fostered the comfortableness in you to make a mistake. You do learn from mistakes, like you're saying, but I also think you learn from taking risks. And in that you take risks, there's a chance that you're going to make a mistake. Mm. If someone is in an environment where they don't have that kind of nurturing currently, Mm. what can we tell them to instill with them the confidence in themselves to take risks and know that you're going to make mistakes, but that you're heart and your mind will have been in the right place at that moment and you learn sometimes you're going to take an honest chance and it's not going to go your way that doesn't even necessarily mean that if you did the exact same thing again it wouldn't go your way it just happened to not go your way that time how can how can we help people have the confidence to take those risks is it community is it is
1: it fostering a stronger peer community i think it's, it's an interesting one actually that topic i think Again, it it can come down to the employer. I think as well, especially who you're working with. Every every agency and every place, whether it's in the U.S. or the U.K., everyone does something differently, you know. And I think it comes down to a bit of understanding the situation you're currently in. You know, if you're in a place where you're, you're, you're fairly new and you know, obviously you're nervous, which is like most people, especially for a very new experience. But I think to myself that if you're fortunate enough to have people who you work alongside, especially people who are above you who you have who oversees your work if you've got that good relationship with them, um, it makes it much easier to, to communicate with them and to say to them, you know, well, you know, there's nothing worse than, than pretending like you know what you're doing and you do it and you get it wrong. Because I think to myself, well, you, know, you set yourself up for a massive fall. And, you know, I again, it's easy to say, I know, I understand that than you, when you're actually in a situation yourself. But I always thought to myself, there isn't any any shame with if you don't know what it is and then to learn about it and then to get it right. that That's the way you should be doing it, you know. I think if you if you don't know what you're doing and you generally don't know how you're doing it, I mean, some people can wing it and get it, you know, fortunate quite right, but if you're anything like me, you need to know the facts first before you start anything. And I think, you know, there's been times for me personally where, you know, I might have been given a brief and its it's been, you know, very tricky and it's a case of breaking it down and even once you've broken it down, you find it tricky to digest it, it's worth definitely you know sitting just face to face with your director or someone you know who who does oversee your work and explain to them i've had a good shot at trying to understand this but explain it to be a bit more in depth and i always think i think they're, they're a lot more wanting to give you the time of day when they know that you're you're genuine about your approach to them rather than trying very hard not knowing what you're doing and then like i said blagging it because i think they they understand that well this person clearly has an indication that they can see what they can do and what they can't do and i think that's very important knowing that if you're forever learning yes but it's important to kind of know, especially in the working world with, with clients, you know, what you're capable of doing and what you're not, because not everyone can do every job. You know, that's, and that's the thing, and that's why you have specialists. So that's where I think to myself, if you're fortunate enough to, to have people who oversee your work that you've got a relationship with, then in all fairness, it should be quite a fairly easy approach to, to explain that. But if you don't, which sometimes can happen, uh, my advice would be, um, my, my honest, honest advice, would be to uh some find somewhere else i mean I, I again I mean sometimes again you have to work at various places to find out what the ideal place for you you know my everyone's first job is never their favorite job, and that's that's you know speaking to people a lot older than me i have definitely learned that from them, so you know again, if you're in a situation where it is very hard to to almost to 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 leave out of a rut as it were um I would say to you know keep the motive and keep working hard and pushing towards forward but Keep your options open. If you're young and you're fresh out of union, you've got those talents. The world's your oyster, as it were. You know, you work hard towards something, and you do it on your side, and you, you freelance projects if you can. And um, and then yeah, you just take take the ball by your horns. And then again, like you said, you take risks and sometimes they pay off. And that's where when they do, then it's it's uh, happy days from there on. Really, isn't it? That fear that
0: maybe people have, like, oh, I can't leave this job. I'm not. I don't have any confidence in myself. Even if they're not saying that, I have no confidence in myself. That's how they're carrying themselves and internalizing mm. who they are. By taking those risks, you will build confidence in yourself. Because mm. let's say you and I get fired in three weeks. Just mm. argument's sake, are we going to be dead in four weeks? No, we'll figure out a way to live. You know what I mean? we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: I wonder also, even like you just said, about approaching your bosses, mentors, superiors, mm. And doing it honestly and saying, look, I don't really understand this. I'm trying to digest it. Can you help me out? I I think maybe people forget that from an opposite perspective. Like let's say somebody asked you for advice Mm. because they felt like you could give them help, kind Mm. of like this interview right at this moment. Mm. People need to know that if you go to your bosses honestly and ask them questions, Mm. they'll probably want to help you because you are respecting their intelligence. And when your intelligence is respected, that's
1: how you form that camaraderie. Like, yes, let me help you. Mm, No, I totally agree I think you know and also as well I mean you have to remember these okay they're a boss yes but they are human beings you get some you know bosses I'm sure that are maybe not so nice and some that are lovely and you've got to find that almost human side I think you know when you I mean especially with my line of work um, especially advertising as well as a whole there's a lot of the social element to it, which is good. So obviously, you know, you, you go out for drinks on a Friday night, or you you, you go out for Christmas dues, or summer do's or things like that. And I think when you build relationships outside of the office, that is so important, because I think to myself, you know, you work nine to five. Yep. Okay, that's cool. Obviously, you do a good job. But you also got to have that people skills, which I think is so important to not necessarily be a robot go in and be honest, of course, but also have people skills and know that you know, whoever you're working alongside, you need to be able to have a, a good relationship. I think it's very important to have a nice relationship on and off the grid um, with who you work with because I think that's very, very important. That's my perspective anyway. Based on what you just said, if you're a junior or even if you're a middle level
0: position and you're trying to talk to the executive creative director, mm. give that person every opportunity to be a human and have a human relationship with them. And at that point, they that boss seems to have no human qualities, Mm. I don't think, then, that you would fear leaving that job as much because you exactly. say, well, totally. I tried so hard to find
1: the human side of this person. Mm. They don't seem to have
0: one. Why do I want to be here? And then you'll be galvanized to go move on anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, if their eye starts blinking red on one side, you think, well, yeah, it's the Terminator, so you don't want to necessarily work with. <laughs> But, yeah, no, I totally you, you even it's, it's, it's the truth, yeah. I think you, you find that human quality. Yeah, and, yeah, I think with our line of work, it's – it is very, very hard, but there's also the, the fun element to it. The places I've been at and um, really nice agencies that I worked with, you know, there's always been at every single place I've been at that social element to it, and it, that definitely draws you much closer as a group, as a team. You know, to, to have that go out for drinks and you you know more about them, but also you have that working side, and I think you've got to find the got to find the balance. Yeah, and I
0: also think that as guys like you and I advance ourselves in our careers, and we get a better understanding of good methods and bad methods to build morale in a team and, fi- and have people find their niche within a team, mm. if we grow up professionally in environments where we do have our human side fostered, then in 20 years when you and I are at a much different level, we'll be doing that and passing it yeah. down as well. And that's When we're talking about harvesting different skills, mm. happiness and confidence are skills that are not necessarily tangible like I know how to draw
1: with charcoal, mm. but they're just as important. Mm, no, definitely. They're, they're, I mean, skills such as, you know, when you, the, the sort of friends that you meet at university, I mean, you're going to find young juniors potentially at the place you're at too, but also you need to remember that you're going to be working with a lot more older and senior people. And that's that's a very interesting quality because especially when you're at uni and, you know, you're working with people primarily your age, your age range, that when you leave university, if you're, say, 20, 23, you could be working with someone who's potentially 48. And it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be, you know, boring or nothing in common but I think to myself that you know that that relationship and that's that sort of skill sets that you sort of share with that different person that age range it's kind of important to to find that notion between the two and to understand that well you know they're just you know I'm sure they've graduated and you know done what they've done but almost utilize that as a, as a point whereby you know within time you can sort of learn from them and, and sort of listen to you know their experiences because again if they're in your line of work and especially if they're along when it comes down to um your say, for example, you're a junior and you're working alongside a senior, which I was doing previously. The senior was a lot older than me, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we have nothing in common. It's a case of what did you do at uni? And, you know, I've seen his work on his, on his website and I've seen stuff that he's done and it makes, it makes you more hungry as a younger person to want to get to that level. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a cool thing when you work with someone a lot older than you in, a say, an agency or design agency, because, you know, you've got that idea of wanting to learn from someone, which you necessarily maybe wouldn't have got if you are at university. Yeah, and I also think that it's
0: important for people to remember that we are going to learn from our senior designers, but they might learn from us too.
1: Definitely. Uh, common them. ground is shared between two people, regardless of the age, like you're saying. It's, it's funny you mentioned that, actually, because uh, I mean, one of the guys uh, I used to work with, again, the same guy in my uh, sort of second job, uh, although, you know, I mean, I... Always admired this guy. His work was amazing, and you know he had his wife, his kids. He was still able to be awesome at his line of work. But one thing he'd always say to me, you know, Kieran, I, I don't know how you find the time to, to go to the exhibitions in the evenings, because usually I, my girlfriend and I would go to you know galleries or things during the week. And even when you're working late, we would still find time afterwards to go. And I think to myself, it's quite cool because obviously he, for him, he was looking from my perspective, my perspective, thinking, you know, it's nice to still be that, you know, fresh out of uni and to still have that interest to still want to go to various places and. Visit galleries and exhibitions, and to do that, and I guess within time, and it's just just the way life is, really. You know, the older you get, obviously, the more responsibilities you get, and especially when you, you know, you go down the path of marriage or you know, kids, it's you're never going to be able to do various things like go into galleries and whatnot for sure. But you know, there's if you can find ways of fitting that in when you can, which like I said, my friend used to do that as well. Then it's it's a cool thing to do, and I've always thought to myself, you know, when I get older. Hopefully, um, <laughs> I'm not so old I can't even move anymore. But you know, it's a case of you know going to going to galleries and especially degree shows. I mean, I've got a thing for my girlfriend and I. We we always go to any degree show if we can reach, obviously, get there in time um, after work. But yeah, we love going to um, degree shows and seeing what's on and especially new talent coming out of uni. Um, so yeah, doing things like that and fitting that in your actual full time schedule is very very important, I feel. Life is about
0: finding happiness often and chasing passions, and that's basically what you're just saying. Because you're passionate about design and you want to continue learning, Mm. you have a desire to go to these degree shows. You have Mm. a desire to connect with people because you found something in yourself that you want to pursue. And for people that maybe haven't done that, that's really what they have to do to to galvanize Mm. themselves and to light that fire under themselves Mm. as well.
1: Yeah, definitely, for sure.
0: I'd like to talk to you about the profile book for a second because I think it'll give a good visual – reference, or in this case, audio reference, Yep. We go forward in this conversation. Uh, you mentioned it briefly earlier, the profile book was your senior thesis project essentially yeah. at university. Yep. And You are the lead designer, or you were the lead designer on it, uh, David yep. Sinnott was the founder, correct? And yep. Nicola, your current girlfriend, she was yep. the editor on that. She was, yeah. Where was the passion in that for you, the profile book? It, for somebody, I now obviously I know what the profile
1: book was, but for somebody listening who doesn't, can you describe what that was to them? Sure. Okay, so the profile book was, the idea of it initially was to create an online blog um, which would basically showcase student and graduate artwork. So the idea was obviously we would um, you know, speak to various artist designers. Primarily they would submit a lot of artwork to the blog, and the idea was once we have you know, some really, really nice artwork on that blog, try and filter that down into print. My final uni project, it's, you know, like anyone, you get that one chance to really make a good go at it. It's your final uni project. You've had three years of of learning from lecturers and from students, what is the one thing you can do to st- you set yourself apart from the, from the crowd, as it were. So yeah, I, I had the idea of, um, I worked with Davidson and Nicola on both the project, but the actual publication and the creation of it was, um, was my sole uni project. And um, I, you know I've always had an interest in working with students and artists and designers, so I knew, when it came to my, to my final project, I wanted to create something which would, it would almost showcase everything I've learned in terms of editorial skills, in terms of you know, writing, blogging, and obviously design, but it would also be a, almost a starting blog because I knew that, um, I mean at that time, I didn't know I was going to be offered a full time at my you know, the first job, so I knew obviously you know, coming out of uni, I've got to find a job like most people do, so I was very determined that this final project that I made, this final book that I create. I can share that out with various art directors, various creative directors, and almost start an organic conversation in itself with that. You know, that's my final uni project. This is the best of what I can do. So, what's the thoughts on this? And without stemming too, too much off, that actually led to one of my internships, actually. Just going to someone, Shen, the book, and, you know, him finding out, oh, this is cool, but also what are you doing now? And at the time, I was free. So, I've done an internship at a place called IPC Media, which is in London. Um, but again, it was that connection of, you know, showing someone your work and having a very organic conversation and just find out what about your work is. And again, that in itself can stem off to to various things. In my case, it led to an internship. You can almost have that very cool connection where you just share something, like a very cool piece of artwork and have that communication. And you'd be surprised how far it can go. So the profile book in itself was definitely something where I shared it with with a lot of art blogs and a lot of people and students. Not necessarily to see, you know, what works and what's great about it, but what doesn't work. I mean, I, I would speak to a lot of art directors and find out, you know what do you not like about it, and every feedback I got back was all constructive, very very good. It was stuff that you know, especially when you're with friends. I mean, I've got a lot of a lot of my closest friends came down to my degree show and they saw my artwork, and you know your family comes down and you know they all say nice things about it, which is great. But it's those sort of senior people who can not be afraid to tell you that's bad for X Y Z. You know, and it's that's for me that's very important because I always think to self, well, you know. You use that criticism to, to produce something better for the next time you do something similar to this, and that's the way you kind of go forward, not knowing what's great about it, but what's not great about it, and then working around that to make it better. And it's incredibly important to not be
0: defensive when someone gives you constructive yeah. criticism. Now, granted, if somebody is like, "That sucks," I mean, to the, oh, well, if, what is that? That doesn't do anything for me. But if yeah. somebody says to "You look, this looks like hell, and here's how you can fix it," yeah, then you have that's, to, that's how you learn. How old? You didn't yeah. learn that five plus four equals nine until you said it was eight and the teacher said it's nine. Yeah. You know, that's the only yeah. way that you learn that. So yeah. for somebody like yourself, it's interesting. My college, mm. I was a graphic design major, but that was lumped under a larger umbrella major along with illustration and advertising called communications design. Okay. So, and really graphic design is the art of communicating mm. in a of ways, but life is also the art of communicating. If we're afraid to communicate, like oh. you're saying, how can we get better? That's, yeah. you, throughout centuries, people learn from their mentors, but mm. they don't learn from their mentors by constantly getting patted on the back. You know, you yeah. have to be willing to be yeah. told that it wasn't good. We're not mm. perfect, and
1: but we're working towards getting better. Yeah, that, I mean, the way I sort of see it, it's a perfect example you mentioned that. Think, think Karate Kid. I mean, for anyone who's seen the film Karate Kid, you know, he's been beat down a few times to, to do what he does. And, yeah, without staying too far off. That that mentality of you know having to, to fall over a few times to understand how to, to walk, I think that is a very important aspect in, in design, but also in life in general. I want to jump right into Feast for a second.
0: Cool. Can you describe to someone who's listening what cool. Feast is and why you are volunteering at Feast? Cool. Because I know that you and I, we just spoke right now about mm-hmm. you following things that you want to do, whether it be go to degree shows, going out, and it's also good that you have a girlfriend who has commonality with you, mm. and you share these things together, which is partly why she's your girlfriend, that you have this in common. <laughs> yeah, but, now, but something like Feast, which is a, a large project to undertake,
1: mm.
0: it's all on your own time. You're not mm. generating a salary to it. How did yep. you get involved in it? Where did you see something that ignited your passion within it,
1: and mm. why are you currently doing it? First of all, when I was working at my previous job, I worked with a freelancer, a really nice guy called Ben, and it was his job at the time. He was currently doing it, and he was moving on to do other things, and we had, we had a chat, and you know, I knew about Feast, I knew about West Norwood, but I didn't really know that much about it, and when he explained to me about what he was doing, and he mentioned that he was leaving, he was stopping doing it because he you know, had to move on and, and timing, and he mentioned to me, do I know anyone who would be willing to do it? And instantly, I, it was a no-brainer. I mean, I've always wanted to do volunteering of some sort. You know, I've never had a chance to do any volunteering. I'm obviously, had a chance to do it, but to actually put it to words and actually do it was a new thing for me. So when I knew about having the opportunity to do it, uh, I jumped on board. Feast, first of all, is a volunteering-powered market. So there's various, various volunteers involved. But Lucy, um, which is someone who founded Feast, first of all, who started Feast Up, we had a little talk in in, Feb, in February. It was yeah, just to see my work, see what I can do, and yeah, from February onwards, I got the gig as lead designer. So um, so from then onwards, I've basically been working at lead designer for Feast. And for those who don't know what Feast is, Feast is basically a community, it's a very small festival, which is in the area of West nord South London. And all it does, it really is, it celebrates um, what West Nord has to offer, whether it's through food, whether it's through music, art, and design. But one thing that's amazing about West Norwood, especially in that area, it's a very multicultural society. Um, I mean, London as a whole is anyway, but West Norwood in particular. I mean, you find various people from various backgrounds, which for me is, I mean, is amazing because for one, you've got we've got our little food market, uh, which is called a food fair, and I mean, the different types of food you would get there is probably food you would never try anywhere else, which is amazing because you've got Indonesian right down to Jamaican right down to Colombian and it's just it's those things that you wouldn't necessarily get or even knew it was in your area unless you'd gone to to feast to experience it your first hand that's one of the fairs which which feast has to offer um another one which is going really my personal favorite is the artisan market and now the artisan market is basically where a lot of startup art and design whether its individuals or groups of people and they come down for them for the day and they sell their artwork and um, they have their own little stalls and they're able to set their artwork they have their business cards out and it's basically a nice day to actually see their artwork and even to speak to the individuals behind the work. I think mean, that is really, really cool because, you know, you buy work on Amazon, you buy work on, um, on Amazon, sorry, you buy work online or you buy work wherever you, wherever you do it, but you don't necessarily speak to the person who's done it. And that's where you've got that face-to-face, you know, communication, um, which is cool. And I mean, I've met a lot of really nice people, you know, getting involved with Feast through, you know, the artisan market. It's people that necessarily I wouldn't have met if I didn't didn't work on Feast you do see a lot of people who come down every month and they're the people who, you know, it's really nice because you've got a relationship with them because you see them every month and, you know, their artwork is it's it's amazing because it's, it's, it's selling really fast, it's selling really well and, you know, you've got that connection because every every month you see them, they've got new work to show. So it's always cool to find out what they've been working on and what they're seeing and, and of course, every month we have new people coming down as well. It's not all the same people. It's it's a case of seeing what new content people are bringing to the table. and again nice relationships with really really passionate artists and designers especially in your local area because West Norwood is actually an area where I actually went to primary school so um I know West Norwood quite well and it's changed definitely over the years but it's pretty cool coming back to West Norwood because my girlfriend lives in West Norwood so it's pretty cool coming back every now and again and you know seeing how it's changed over the years and the different buildings and more people and like I said it's it's a very multicultural society West Norwood itself um so again seeing on a, on a hot summer's day, it's really nice sort of seeing everyone out there, you know, having their burgers, having the screen printed t shirts or whatever it was. But it's cool seeing people from various disciplines and various uh, backgrounds, you know, coming together and doing it. And you may be not necessarily fun at anywhere else, but somewhere like West Norwood Feast. It's such a fitting thing for this month's topic, harvest, where you talk about
0: feast, harvest, they're food words, but also. <laughs> Have you ever met anybody who was a separatist who seemed happy? I've never met anybody. <laughs> yeah. When people come together, that's where happiness starts. Right. Because we're all so much more alike than we are different. Then mm. you talk about buying art from somebody. And, yeah, you buy it online and maybe you don't know the story behind it. You might like the way it looks. You mm. might have your own opinion as to why someone did something. Mm. But then you sit you talk to the artist. And the artist says, well, I was thinking this, I was thinking that. And you come away from that thinking that, Here's a person who has similar emotional connections to the world as as myself, and I'm more inclined to want to buy his stuff or her stuff now. As you move forward, and we talk about community both with the profile book, with college, being part of Feast, and I love Feast, by the way, and in New York, specifically Brooklyn – farmers markets and things like that are very common and they're wonderful because they bring the people out of their houses. Do you have any ideas as to how you're going to continue furthering that desire to connect people together in yourself as you move forward in your career and your life?
1: Uh, that's a really good question. I think the one thing as a starting block is to continue what I'm doing with Feast for sure. I mean working working with Feast and you know, volunteering and working with people who you know, I necessarily wouldn't work with, or who would have opportunity, I should say, to work with, if I was doing um, no volunteering work. That's the cool thing about feast. You know, working with you know people from you know various backgrounds and coming together to do something really nice for the community. So, from in my my sort of aspiration, as it were, is to basically continue doing feast, continue doing um, you know helping out with the, the flyer designs, and helping out you know set up the stalls, but more importantly, trying very hard to get. More people coming out of their shell, you know, especially in West Norway, because I mean, there's a lot of people, a lot of artists, and designers, and it's quite a confident thing to come out and to show your artwork and have a stall and to, you know, be there all day and to talk to people, because that in itself is is quite daunting, you know. I mean, it's one thing to have your work online and to sell it, but it's another to have a stall and to speak to people and to do that. So I think trying to get people to come out of their shell more so, and you know, finding people online who are in a local area and trying to get them to come down to Feast and to have their work showcased. I mean, that's that's one thing. I'm personally, especially from a, a design, an artist's point of view, quite determined to do, to speak to various artists and try and get them to come down. Um, and yeah, I think working, like I said, working with, you know, various volunteers, I think that's, that's quite a, a nice thing to do, especially when you know that you're doing it, again, you're not doing it for a client, you're not doing it for a very high-end brand at all. It's, it's for the community, it's for some of the locals, ages from, you know, young toddlers right down to pensioners. So you've got that vast, vast age range going on, but you've also got that sense of wanting to belong somewhere, um, which, again, somewhere like West Norwood, which to me is, is a very close place to my heart because obviously I went to primary school around here, so I know the area very, very well. It, it's nice to sort of see it grow, especially in an environment like Feast. So my next sort of years, what do you want to call it, would be definitely to continue down this path of volunteering with Feast and to keep watching it grow, as it were, because it's definitely growing, you know, more people are coming down more than, the more to be anticipated, for example, which is fantastic. You just brought something up that's very
0: human, and that is the human desire to be a part of something that's larger than yourself, to connect Mm. to a larger community, kind of like we're talking about. Mm. For people that might be afraid to go put themselves out there, let me ask you, when you come home from a day of volunteering
1: at Feast, yeah. How do you feel about yourself after talking to all those people? Oh. Do you feel good? Do you feel drained? How do you yeah, feel? I feel awesome. I mean, you feel. Like, I mean, feast is one of the. I mean, first of all, feast happens. It's the first Sunday every month, and I don't know whether we're just very very lucky, but it's always sunny day when it's feast. It's, I mean, the, we just had our feast recently. It was beautiful. It was. I mean, weather-wise, it was nice, and to be outside and to you know to speak to people and. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing like it. It feels amazing. I mean, especially when you, um, I mean, I deal with obviously you order the design work for fees. So when you see your flyers being distributed out to young people and seeing your banners up, of course you've got that sense of, First of all, you know, from a designer's point of view, when you see your own design work being distributed and up in flyers, of course it's, it's an awesome feeling. You know, naturally, you know, it's really, really cool. But it's even more cool when you see people coming together from different nationalities, especially, and almost using fees of a canvas, as it were, to... To start conversations and speak to people because it's obvious that when you go to feast, one thing you will easily be able to tell is that we've got a little um, near the church bit where we have our food fair, food market. We have a lot of people who sit on the green and got live music being played, and you've got people eating their burgers or whatever they're eating. You can tell people are talking with one another, and obviously, people they've just met just there. And I kind of think to myself, well, (laughs) where else are you going to find places where you're going to speak to random strangers. Cause every people, you know, people are quite reserved and, you know, something like this, I think is awesome. So when I, whenever I go to feast, I talk to people all the time. And I mean, last feast just gone, I'm not, a, I'm not an amazing dancer, but we had a, a live act happening. And uh, in fact, it was Nicola, my girlfriend and I, we both got up and did a bit of dancing as well, which was quite cool. So uh, again, we would never have done that if we weren't involved with something like this. So for me, I, It's it's an awesome awesome thing to do, and I have I have literally no intention of stopping it anytime soon. So people might think that feast is derived from only the food aspect
0: of Mm. at feast at the farmers market, but really it's a feast of life in general, like you're talking about live music, people communicating. It's just fun when you get out there and you talk to people. It's fun.
1: That's the exact. And it's a Sunday. I mean, Sundays are lazy days. So (laughs) I mean, Sundays are know know, take it serious. I mean, it's very much a you know feast is a good day. I mean, and also on a on a positive especially on a on a feast day yeah financially you can come down with very little money and have a good time you know i mean there's hopefully this, the weather's good and you can go there and you i mean the food first of all i've got a i've got a weakness for the burgers which which are there quite often they've got these organic burgers which are absolutely amazing um if you go there i mean you, you know you bring a bit of a, a bit of change you come down you speak to people you have some food there's live music i mean there's there's so much cool things that are provided and it's it's at very little cost, I think, which is cool. I mean, especially for London. London's a very expensive place, like you know, and got your your places like your West Norwood Feasts, where there's a a spread of really cool things to do by volunteers. I think utilize it, you know, make the most of it. Why not? Because I mean, like the guys who I work alongside, I mean, they work so so hard. I mean, just to give a bit of background, I mean, Lucy basically Lucy was the one who had this idea of doing feasts in the first place. She you know, she works. She has her children, but she's still able to cultivate that attitude and that passion to, for to want to get the community together. And for me, I mean, me and myself, you know, I find that a massive, um, massive inspiration. You know, to see that people, you know, even though they have their own, you know, full-time jobs or they might have families, that they're still able to, you know, to really utilise their passions and to especially help the community. I mean, that is so very important to put that out there and to see people who necessarily wouldn't speak to each other come together for an event such as this. I think it's amazing. And the other truth about that is that you said like it's on a
0: Sunday. Mm. You're going to go to work on a Monday morning. I mm. feel like you're going to feel
1: better about starting your work week off if you had a fun Sunday. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I go every, every freeze, of course. And, um, and it's quite nice because again, you've got that day where it's that mid afternoon where people, it's a lazy Saturday Sunday. For example, Saturdays you, you go out, you do your thing. And Sundays are usually the evenings you get ready for work. So I think around Sunday afternoons is perfect to have something like feast because you go out, you can have a drink in the park, you can uh, in the local square we have, you can have some food, get some nice artwork. But it all sets you up really nice for the week. It sets me up for the week anyway, quite nice because you go in to work and you feel you know you feel quite chilled. It hasn't been quite a stressful weekend. It's been quite a nice one, and I mean I always look forward to going to feast and the next day going to work because. The guys who I work with, they all know about Feast, and it's quite cool, you know, where they're like, oh, how was your weekend? And I was like, well, doing Feast, and, you know, I, I try very hard to try and get them to come down, and they come down when they can, and it, it's really cool seeing people who you work with coming into, you know, areas where they necessarily wouldn't have been in, usually. West Nord is one of those towns where a lot of people go past on the train, but they don't necessarily get off the train to go into it. So I think Feast is, from my perspective, Feast has kind of put West Norwood on the map ever so slightly, which is a good thing, and, you know, a lot of people who... Don't live in West Norwood are definitely coming in to, to experience West Norwood, for, uh, to experience Feast, I would to say, firsthand, which is fantastic. For anyone, again, obviously, listening to this who, who lives in the areas of South London or, you know, Feast is a, Feast is a cool place. Don't take my word for it, come down and see for yourself. No matter how much you love your day job, mm. if you are working a day
0: job, you got to have some eggs to put in other baskets and go do other things too, because it's going to add to what your experiences are mm. in terms of, let's say, as a designer. You might see something at Feast that inspires you on Wednesday of the next week as you're designing something. The more we have to pull from, I think the more human we feel when we Mm. have more things going on.
1: Oh, for sure. No, definitely. I mean, little things like, for example, at the Feast just uh, two months ago, a really good friend of mine, who's a photographer, came down and, you know, we took, again, all volunteering. She came down at our own will, and it was lovely for her to use her skills. And we got some fantastic photography shots of the day because... One thing we never really had before maybe I came along taking over for, for Feast was that we never really had um, an archive of really good photography and one thing you'll notice is that Feast is, is I mean there's always things going on and I think it's very important to take you know really nice snaps to share it through social media to so people, people get a real idea of what it's actually like to be there on a day like that and um, we're very lucky now because you know my friend came down and took some really nice shots a lot of those shots that we're using now were hopefully gonna roll out into a new rebrand for the flyers. So I mean that's that's the idea, and again, again, you know, having more of a uh, photographic approach to the flyers I think is very important, you know, especially when people don't know what Feast is or never heard of it, you know. I mean, when you have a photograph which shows the stalls and it shows a clear shot of what it's gonna be like, just a, a single shot, it could be that, you know, or a series of them, just showing you exactly what it is. I think that speaks, a thousand words more than any text could. Feast is one of those places where every month is a new thing. We don't know what's going to come up. And what's quite cool about Feast is, well, we also do themes. So especially for the younger audience. So a lot of there's a lot of kids in the area of West Norwood. Um, there's a lot of primary schools. So a lot of the schools get involved with them. Um, sometimes we do sort of plays, or we have music um, or sort of trombones, and we have people coming down, and they can, you know, they play their music. Or we have art fairs and on. And I mean, it's nice sort of seeing, you know, obviously the kids playing and whatnot, but What's quite cool is obviously with the different themes that we have going on. Again, it gets kids out, of, you know, out of the home, out of bothering mum and dad, but into the area playing with other children, you know. And again, like I said, coming back to the whole, you know, multicultural society thing. It, again, it's really cool seeing you know younger children of different backgrounds playing with other younger children, of different backgrounds too. I think that's that's a really nice thing, as it were, you know, to sort of see that happening. And every feast is always a um, it's always a fun one. I mean, the next one coming up is is based on history. So we're looking at sort of the British sort of culture and the British history and how it's come a long way, you know, from uh, obviously we've got the, the Tudor times, we've got World War II and we've got things like that, but we've also got obviously, Britain as it were today is very multicultural and I think that's very, very important to try and celebrate that because obviously you've got the food you've got the aspect, you've got the music, you've got the art and design and they're all things people enjoy. I think they're not, they're not corporate, they're not serious things. Everyone loves food, first of all, so it doesn't matter what food you like, it you know, there's, there's food to cater for you, Art again, like we said, it's very much a case of opinion-based. But you know, you, you see a piece of artwork. I'm sure you know people like it, don't like it. But you're going to see artwork which which draws which draws a connection to yourself, and it can you know it can it can create a nice conversation. You can definitely utilize these various things we've got going on at Feast when you've got such a wide um, background of people in such a small area. I think it's amazing. And I want to say really
0: quickly that for somebody listening to this who's not in London who mm. might be saying, well, that's great, Kieran, that you can do this. I don't have Feast where I live. But there are various community programs, farmers' markets, meetups, you name it. People yeah. are getting together all over the place. I think regardless whether or not you live in an urban environment, mm-hmm. which by sheer amount of people, there's going to be more things going on. Yeah, But even in a, in a suburban or a semi-rural environment, there are still things going on that we can meet up with people and we can make new connections. Because Definitely. like you said, mm. you come home
1: from that feeling good. Exactly. And I think one thing that's, I mean, one thing you mentioned about the idea of, on my case, obviously, I, I jumped on board Feast and Feast was already going before I came along. But in your area, especially if you feel, you know, there's not much in your area to, to do, especially from where I've lived in South London, there's always people of a design background. You just got to find them, first of all. And I think to myself, if that, if, if it's something like Feast is not in your area, then why not start it yourself? You know, get down to your local town hall. You know, I mean, Feast. Of start started off simply with with Lucy having an idea and getting a group of friends together to start something, and it's it's definitely grown over the years. And I think to myself, if someone can have a single idea to to see something like this and see it unravel and flourish, then there's no reason why uh, why you can't do it yourself. You know, if you've got that passion, that drive to want to see something you know work really well and you get a good group of friends and, you know, especially when it's volunteered based, I think in Feast itself, because Feast um, celebrates a lot of community, um, we've got a lot of sponsors from our local areas. So for example, we've got the mayor of London as one of the sponsors. And that in itself was, um, is quite nice because obviously, you know, especially when you've got an event like Feast, they're very more open to want to sponsor that because obviously there's no financial gain behind it, excuse me, whatsoever. It's all about trying to get people to come together. So again, there necessarily doesn't necessarily be a feast in London there could be something very similar in your local area but if there isn't you know make it happen and then you know have that will have you know a group of friends and you know keep fighting for it I think if you can try and get things like this in your local area it will definitely bring people together but more so I think you will find your feet more fresh from a designer's point of view you know I've learned a hell of a lot working on Feast um, more than I ever thought I would you know I obviously like I said I've worked at various agencies but when you work on something like Feast from volunteering point of view, and it's, I mean, like I said, I'm the only I'm the lead creative on this. It's it's quite nice because obviously you know there's a lot of direction that I, I have the opportunity to direct design to see it work and t- again to see a design start from X Y and to see it go you know quite far. But I think that's that's very important in itself to have that first-hand experience to sort of see your work progress and to see it design because for me again I'm young and I'm I'm always learning forever so. For me, going to Feast, it, it's really cool sort of seeing people come along and to sort of see your designs. And it's always a bonus when you hear people say, oh, this is a really cool flyer, blah, blah. And, you know, you feel good about yourself as a designer. I think anyone who has a piece of work and you hear good things about it, you, of course, you're on cloud nine. It's an amazing feeling. So, yeah, for anyone who doesn't do it or has something in the area, they make it happen. Now, we're
0: recording this conversation on a Sunday. And tomorrow, you go to work. Yep. And you're going to work at a new job. Mm. And you're a designer at a small agency. But part of why you're there is all the extracurricular stuff that you're doing. It's helped you build that kind of confidence. So if people are saying to themselves as they're listening to this that we're speaking in theory and not in practicality, that's not true because you do have a new job. You're living proof that this exists, and it's a way that you can do things and have a successful path to life. So I'm curious, now that you have this new job, yep. how far down the road are you looking? Do you just trying to get through – Monday, August 10th, are you trying to look through the fall, the winter, the holidays? How far down the road are you looking right
1: now? Uh, James, I'll be honest with you, mate. I am very much a, uh, I'm a thinker. <laughs> I'm a thinker. I, I wish I was very much a happy-go-lucky, you know, live for the moment. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong, I live for the day, but I do like to plan ahead. And um, I think in terms of work-wise, I mean, I started this new job. I mean, it's a very small agency, much smaller than where I've been at previously. Um, which is for me is perfect because I wanted to work somewhere much smaller where you've got communication going on you know I mean it, when you work at a very big agency which for my previous job it was it was quite a big ad agency and Communication can get lost very easy, you know I mean working where I'm at now is a very small group of people the lovely lovely people and the element of talking to people I think that's so important and you know I've, I've got the opportunity to to speak to people and again as I'm the lead creative at this very small place a lot of the designs I, did, I do, I've got a lot of more direction on it, which I necessarily wouldn't have had in my previous place. So, again, it comes down to the fact that, you know, I've chosen to want to work somewhere smaller because I kind of feel that, I mean, there are a lot of benefits of working somewhere smaller. I mean, at a bigger place, there are, of course, people thrive on wanting to work at big places. But, you know, for anyone who's a bit like somewhere smaller, to have that nice connection with the people around you, that's a cool thing to do. And that's, kind of my next sort of plan I mean I plan on staying here you know for a good few years and you know set up a nice foundation and you know seeing definitely the brand as a whole progress um but also whilst I'm doing that I'm gonna forever hopefully you know continue doing the volunteering for Feast that's my two babies at the moment Feast is on one side and then my other job's on the left so that's that's my uh, my two babies at the moment and of course my girlfriend <laughs> can't I can't leave her out that's part of the equation <laughs> exactly yes
0: <Anyway. laughs> Do you have anything that you particularly want to plug, be it your own personal things, be it information for Feast?
1: Yeah, for anyone who's, especially in the area of London or West Norwood, Feast, you can go on westnorwoodfeast.com, uh, and there's always updates as to, you know, what's happening on on the, on the day, and, you know, how you can get involved um, with Feast from a volunteering point of view, because, um, again, we're forever looking out for volunteers. I mean, that's, that's very important. We've got a very good um, number of people who's involved, but, you know, you can never have too many volunteers i think mean, that's especially at a thing like this so if you want to get involved get involved you're in the area of london then you know feel free to go online or you know you can email me directly um which is on my site kieranlewis.com you know watching something like feast or seeing feast firsthand go into it, it you feel good inside you, you know you feel really really good inside and it kind of kind of makes you want to do something similar if you can be volunteering whether it's from a, a design point of view or it's from you know setting up stalls or helping out I think that's that's really, really good. I think, again, volunteering to actually working full-time, there's a massive difference, you know, especially – I mean, it's obvious there's a massive difference, but there's that sense of achievement that when you know you're working not so much for financial gain but working to help others, and especially for the community, there's very little that can sort of top that in terms of feeling good about yourself. So You also mentioned kieranlewis.com. Yep, that's my website, yeah. I mean – on my site, a lot of the stuff you'll see is, is very much uh, self-directed projects. So it's it's not so much client work. I mean, I, I obviously I've, I've worked very, with various clients. I'm more wanting to showcase people things that are more personal to me. You can work on your clients for your big brands, which are fine. But a lot of the stuff you'll see on my website, if you get a chance to go in, it is very much self-directed projects which I've done, you know, whilst at university. And I mean, of course, Feast is on there too. So you've got a first-hand example of what Feast is, and there's some really cool. Cool images so uh so yeah kieranlewis.com if you get a chance to visit it then please do
0: and for those who are like me and they've never won a spelling bee in their life that's
1: k-i-e-r-o-n-l-e-w-i-s that's com. the one yeah yeah it's, it's it's kieran not kieran everyone gets it wrong don't worry even mom does too sometimes so uh, yeah kieran lewis k-i-e-r-o-n-l-e-w-i-s yeah is there anything else that you'd like to mention or say that i didn't cover or didn't ask you about in terms of what's going on in my life at the moment, um, I've actually entered a competition, a creative competition called Jack Wills. Uh, I found out on, I think it was Friday, I'm into semi-finals, so that's quite a cool thing. To give that background about what that is, um, It's kind a long story short, Jack Wills as the brand, a very British brand, they're all about celebrating British culture. And I've, there, there's various categories into what you can celebrate, and I'm under the creative category. And um, my idea is very much linked with Feast, there's various rounds, but if you if you're one of the lucky eight to win, you get some funding towards your idea. And to give you a bit of an idea of what I'm doing, I mean, my idea is linked towards wanting to create almost an like end-of-year publication for Feast. So obviously, we've got Feast, which happens in you know, every month. But what's what I've noticed, especially since I've been working on it only from February onwards, is that I've noticed the vast amount of cool artwork you see in store owners and whatnot. And I think to myself, for people who've missed out on Feast, who weren't able to come down. There isn't nothing to really sort of have like a like an archive, as it were, to sort of see what you've missed out on. And I kind of think if we can have like an end of the an end of the year print of some sort to sort of showcase everything we've seen throughout the few months, then that's perfect. So that's my idea, really. So if I'm quite fortunate to go far in this competition, then my idea is to to put that funding towards creating like a, a publication which will kind of celebrate. Ever think that feast has to offer especially from various of the hubs that we have which is the food and then the artisan market and we have a retro market too which sort of celebrates a lot of the sort of old school retro vinyl CDs and things like that really cool quirky things that you might find in your dad's attic basically things like that but people like that sort of stuff. so I think it's, it's kind of cool if you can have some of that in a sort of editorial format, which is obviously when I want to create a print book. I' got my interview for the judges, which is on the 3rd of September. So um, so wish me luck on that, hopefully, and uh, I'll let you know how it gets on. Well, one, congratulations for making it to the semi-finals. Yes. Two, is there anything that listeners can do to help you advance, or is it now just judges? Yeah, it's just judges right now. I think, uh, I think, think Dragon's Den. Um, that's the only way I can imagine it. Um, obviously, I'm nervous. I'm excited more so. But I think, because again, Feast is something that I'm quite passionate about, and I, I know Feast very well that you know whoever I talk to whether it's one judge or three you know I I I can hopefully go in there confident knowing that well what I'm talking about I know it quite well and I think to myself that's that's what I'm going in there knowing you know I'm not going in there obviously it'd be nice to to win it and to have that funding towards it but I'm going in there to have the idea to actually plug in and and to showcase Feast as a whole you know and to to showcase the judges you know what Feast has to offer and as soon as I leave from that interview or however it's placed I'm going to say to you know (laughs) come down to Feast next month if you can because uh it's in South London. So if I don't get it, at least we've got people to come down for a feast. So uh, that's a positive somewhere. Kieran, I wanted to thank you for sitting down with me, at one, but mm. also
0: for showing that taking chances in life can be fun. It's not this big daunting task. It's just getting out there and being a person and connecting to other people. And it's like you just said, you're entering this competition. You're going to go speak to the judges. And while that might be something that would be so nerve-wracking to others that they might vomit from it, you're <laughs> thinking – Hey, at the end of this, by the way, guys, why don't you come down to feast? (laughs)
1: Exactly, yeah. We'll see how that goes. (laughs) No, it's been a pleasure, James. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Like I said during the interview, I want to thank Kieran for having such insight, such wherewithal, such self-awareness, and such a willingness to do things to be happy in life. Sometimes we can take a negative approach to life if we're feeling insecure or we're feeling like we're alone. But the more we get out there in the world, the more we do things that we enjoy, the more we connect with people and realize how much similar we all are. What do we all want in life? Happiness, self-awareness, inner peace, some money. We all want the same things. We think money is going to lead to happiness. It can't if we haven't soul-searched, if we don't know who we truly are and what's going to make us happy. Kieran talks about Feast, and we do mention on the podcast that if you are not in London and can't attend the specific festival feast that Karen spoke about, no matter where you are there's going to be something going on. I live in New York City. There are farmers markets going on all the time in Brooklyn, in in Manhattan, in Queens. My mother, she lives in rural Arizona and right down the road from her house there's a farm where they throw parties and do things like that too. So it tells you right there whether it's an urban environment, whether it's a rural environment, You're going to have things going on around you and you have opportunities to connect with other people. And if those things don't exist and you feel galvanized enough by this conversation to try to make them exist in your community, more power to you and reach out to me. If I can help in any way, I'd be more than happy to. I would like to potentially bring to you a third episode of Breaking Walls this August. I'm not sure if I'll be able to do that, but at worst case scenario, the next podcast that you will hear will come to you September 1st of 2015. And that will be Breaking Walls episode 22, unless I can present to you something sooner than that. And like I said to you on the opening, you can get these podcasts by going to SoundCloud.com/theWallBreakers. You can also subscribe on iTunes by searching for the Wall Breakers. That's T H E space W A L L B R E A K E R S dot com. And guys, like I said, the only way that people know about this message is if you tell them about it. And if you feel strongly about what I'm trying to do let me know. I'd love to get you involved in some way. And I won't do it in any way that's going to be taxing to you personally, but I'm going to ask you to be honest with me and tell me what you like and tell me what you don't like and tell me what you are interested in. In all of our hearts, we are all wall breakers. We know this by now. If you do anything that you like, it makes you feel good. Karen said he comes home from Feast and every Sunday, he feels great about himself and ready to start the week ahead. I hope that today wherever you are listening to this, you can look around and see the good that's around you and are feeling good about who you are. And if you aren't, remember, you got to look inward. Look to all the things that are making you feel restless or unhappy. See if you can change them for the better. See if you can make things happen. See if you can partner with people to make those things happen. Do whatever you need to do to be happy because... We don't really know how many lives we get in this world. And if we've only got this one, you got to get out there and break those walls. Do those things you like. So thank you, Kieran, for another fantastic edition of Breaking Walls. I want to thank you guys for tuning in, for giving me the feedback and the support, the constructive criticism. And I want you to keep getting out there. Keep breaking those walls. Do those things that you need to do. Harvest the skills that you have to move yourself forward. We've all got multiple skills. Don't only rely on one. If you like more than one thing in this world, then you've got more than one skill. Break those walls. And until next time, my name is James Scully, and I will catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much.